Second City mm -hmm. from Donnie DiPolo way way back in the Stone Age, mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking to him over at the, at the Ale House after one of the classes, and he said, "Who should you study with?" And mm -hmm. I said, "Well, there's you know there's only one guy. It's Del Close." So right about that time, I met Del at a party. Uh, Del and Sharna showed up. He was doing the Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. I think, of the Goodman, and so uh, Del turned up at this party. And the host of the party obviously knew him, and we got to talking, and, mm -hmm. and uh, Sharna said, oh, come by, you should come by to take class. We're starting classes next month. So uh, Del was very impressed because I was a writer for, for Fangoria magazine. Mm -hmm. So Del was very excited to have me in the class. I remember my first classes were upstairs at Cross Currents. Uh, that's where I first met Bob Odenkirk. He, oh, was, okay. he was studying back then, mm -hmm. uh, and Bob and I got together a few times to write and improvise, and that never went anywhere. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what ever happened to Bob. I hope he's doing okay. Yeah, um, I don't feel like I've heard that name. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to drop a lot of names during this. <laughs> okay. Part, so please. we're excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 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 embarrassing. That's why I have people on. I'm going to put like a nice little fancy font for every name that you drop, and it'll go like in glitter, and then kind of like dissipate. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm going to wear out your glitter people. Awesome. <laughs> That's, I'm the glitter people. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I do all my effects and stunts. You've bitten off more than you can <laughs> yes. chew. Today, my last well, why don't we why don't we backpedal a bit here and kind of start out with the beginning? What got you? Were, were you always an arts, um, an artsy fellow? Like, did you do theater in school or writing a creative writing program? Or well, something? I did a little bit when I was in high school. I was mm -hmm. into comedy more than I was into theater or mm -hmm. even or performing. I was always a huge comedy geek. Uh, 
And I did do, I did a couple plays back in high school. My, mm -hmm. my old friend Walt Willie, I went to high school with Walt Willie, who was on All My Children for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, Walt got me into the, into the plays over there the first time around. Okay. So I had a lot of really, really uh, pathetic small roles and roles which I overacted. There are I, no small roles. No. <laughs> They, they didn't start out that way, but when they saw what I could do, no. they got smaller. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so I did start to do theater mm -hmm. and that. Um, Where did you grow up? Grew up in Ottawa, Illinois. Oh, okay. So, about an hour and a half from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, my mother still lives there. In the okay. house where I grew up. So I, uh, yeah, so, I did do it. I studied a lot of that. I didn't mm -hmm. really go into go into performing when I was in college. I mm. went to, uh, well, actually junior college I did, but that doesn't count. I, I took got a lot of big roles, mm -hmm. big parts and big shows for medium-sized actors. <laughs> uh, You're making your way up. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, you can see the trajectory. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very slightly going the right way. So I uh, once, but I went to Illinois State after mm -hmm. I got out of junior college. Okay. I think they call it community college, not junior solid. College sounds a little no, no, I, I know a lot of people who went to Illinois State um, and did lots of theatrical things. Yeah, it's very good for that. Well, it was, except I didn't do any theater when I was oh. at Illinois State. <laughs> were, you, were you an engineering student? <laughs> yes, I was an engineer. You can tell. I'm all about the STEM. Yeah. I thought yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> I, funny you mention that, though. When I was at Illinois State, mm -hmm. it was the time when most of the founders of Steppenwolf were down there. Really? And they were hogging the stages. Oh. Yeah, I had like Lori Metcalf was in some of my classes. Mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, who else? Uh, Gary Sinise's wife Moira lived in our dorms, so we always would have lunch and whatnot. Gotcha. So, so these been uh, who, who else? Gary Cole, I think people like mm -hmm. that. So more glitter. Um, I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But I went into radio and television, and mm -hmm. then out of college, I went right into radio. Okay. But. Uh, Something completely different had happened before I had gotten out of, once I was in junior college actually, I discovered Monty Python, which uh -huh. was just starting in America, and this literally changed my life. Uh, I saw either the first or one of the very first shows on PBS, mm -hmm. Channel 11 in Chicago, and started watching it from that point on. And I just, you know, I was, if I was a comedy geek before, I was even more of a comedy geek after I discovered Python. Mm -hmm. So I, I wrote, like I remember writing a couple fan letters to the guys, uh -huh. and what I did was, uh, oh, and Terry Jones in one of the letters said, oh, we're doing the show out at the city center out in New York, you know, why don't you come on out, and so. I oh, so they were, they were like responding to the letters that you sent, even? Yeah, That's well, awesome. most, mostly Terry. Well, I met Terry, uh -huh. I met Terry Jones and Graham Chapman in Chicago uh -huh. at the premiere of Holy Grail. Uh -huh. And uh, so I kept in touch. Graham never wrote letters, so Graham was ridiculous. But fortunately, Terry did, and mm -hmm. that's what kind of—that was just enough to keep me going. Gotcha. So uh, Terry invited me out to the city center, and then he took me around backstage between shows. It was a Saturday night, mm -hmm. and introduced me to most of the other guys. That's so cool. It was great. It was a lovely thing to do. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was—he uh, had no idea where it would lead. Yeah. And neither did I, actually. So after this. Mm -hmm. I wrote this Monty Python fanzine, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, nowadays I would have probably done a website. Or like a blog of sorts, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it was all about Python. 
and I sent copies of this thing off to all of the Pythons. So how, how often were you writing that? It, well, this was the first issue. Okay. It was the very first issue, and mm -hmm. it, it, it went off to them all. And then I got back, I guess there was a Python meeting not long after they uh -huh. uh, received these. Uh -huh. And the manager handed them all out to all of the guys at the meeting. And uh, there's a note in Michael Palin's journal about how, well, we, you know, we got these Python fanzines, we all flunked the quiz. And, <laughs> and, and, and uh, <clears throat> so I got back all of these uh, gushing letters of praise, just uh -huh. saying how great they thought it was. Oh, lovely. And then at the end of Michael Palin's letter, he said, if you're ever in London, be sure to look me up. Well, that's so like, I now need to find my way to London. <laughs> yeah, so a week later I booked the trip. That's awesome. And I yeah. went over there, I was in London for a week, mm -hmm. and I spent uh, spent most of that time, I stayed at Graham Chapman's house. Okay. Uh, Terry Jones was, was with his family on holiday out in Wales. Terry invited me out there, and so I spent a night out in Wales. They were never concerned that you might be like a stalker or something? It, back then, it never really occurred to people. Okay. <laughs> I showed up at John Cleese's house just completely unannounced uh -huh. and just rang his bell. And he, uh, you see, what John had done, he'd stuck like a 20 quid note in, in his letter just saying he wanted more copies of this. So I figured, well, I'll deliver these to John. That's my pretext for going over there. <laughs> and thank God he didn't push me down the steps, but he invited me in. Gave me it's just scotch. so unimaginable in this day and age that like you could show up at like a, a you know someone on TV's house and you could like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was so it was very weird. It never happened today. Yeah, but no, that's awesome. Like, I love it. That's real gumption, too, to just go over there. And well, I was in London for a week. It was my <laughs> first night, and I was bored. Mm -hmm. So you know, I figured, well, I got only one week. I might as well make the most of it. I love that. I'm going to live my life like that. I'm bored. Let's see what celebrities in town. There you go. There you go. You never know where it will lead, though. Oh, no, yeah. Throw your whole life into disarray. That's so crazy. I uh, So I... They were getting ready to do Life of Brian, film mm -hmm. Life of Brian when I was there. And they were showing, they had me read the script and I saw the costumes and they talk, you know, they were talking about it constantly because they were very excited about doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I got back to, back to the States and I thought, my God, I should have asked them for a job. What was I thinking? <laughs> so <laughs> I actually sent a telegram. I think it's the only time in my life I ever sent a telegram. They, they still had telegrams? That was, yeah, this is how long ago it was. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes, just, yeah, nowadays, you know, you just... Email or something, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I asked if there any jobs, and mm -hmm. the manager said, sure, come on over, we'll find something for you to do. So, I went over to Tunisia. and That's where they were filming Life of Brian? That's where they were filming Life of Brian. Oh, okay. And it's, this is also something you would never do nowadays. You <laughs> show up in Tunisia. Like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. What's up, people <laughs> in the desert? <laughs> but that was it. I was, mm -hmm. They filmed it, the biggest part of it, at this uh, old Muslim castle in Monastir, Tango cool. Monastir. And uh, yeah, so I got to live with them for, work with them for almost two months. And what were you doing in that time? What was your job? Well, I did a little of everything. Mm -hmm. um, the first day I was there, see, I just bought a brand new uh, Minolta camera uh -huh. right before I went over there and took it to take it over with me. And I got there and I was talking to Graham. I showed Graham my camera and he had just gotten the camera as well. And we got there, or we went out there on a Friday, I think, and walked around the sets and there were rehearsals. 
and everything was going so well, they mm -hmm. thought, well, let's just start filming early. So they decided they'd start filming on the Saturday. Well, their still photographer wasn't there on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. So I was the still photographer. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, okay. Yeah. He's really jumped right in. Yeah. yeah you never know. So they're, they're filming the stoning uh -huh. sequence, and I'm there taking shots. That's great. All, so. so, yeah, I was like a unit journalist, mm -hmm. and I kept records of everything that went on during the filming okay. day by day. I was on the set virtually dawn to dusk whenever they were there. Awesome. Um, but I was also in the film in spots. I was, I doubled for guys. I was an extra. <laughs> I'm a Roman soldier a lot through. Were you? Okay. Yeah, now I have to rewatch it. You're you going to watch fast, but you can see me if you know right exactly when and where to look. Okay, yeah. that's like I was, I did background acting for a while and I always had to tell my mom, I was like, okay, you might see me crossing behind the actors in the library. There was an <laughs> argument during the scene. I don't know, try this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, how you, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, it's so you went to Tunisia and you're doing all these, like, you're really integrated with them. And then uh, what happened after that where they were like, hey, stick around, we like working with you? Um, well, the, the trouble with the pythons is they didn't all stay together mm -hmm. in one group permanently. Yeah. That was the problem. They kind of drifted in and out. Um, like for Brian filmed the following, or was released in New York the following year. Mm -hmm. So I went out there for the filming and connected up with the guys again. Mm -hmm. um, and then the year after that, 1980, uh, they did a uh, stage show at the Hollywood Bowl, mm -hmm. so I went out to that as well, of course, and I'm not going to mention all the celebrity names, but it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, please, um, please, yeah. please, <laughs> on my phone. But I ended up being in the show, I was, mm -hmm. uh, I was a pantomime goose in oh. the show. <laughs> And it was it was fantastic, and I that's met so cool. a lot of you know a lot of great people there. Mm -hmm. That's why dear old Harry Nelson, my uh, who's gone now, is just the loveliest guy in the world. I caught Harry at a very good time, I mm -hmm. guess. But Harry went on and helped me out with some other projects. He wrote the introduction to one of my books, oh, wow. and was just I tried to help him get his biography published, and it was just yeah, Harry was just a great guy. Gotcha. Um, well, why don't we talk about your books? Uh, we can talk yeah. about my books, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, first book, I, I meant to write, write a Python book all along, mm -hmm. and I talked to the Python's manager, and she thought, well, not this, not, not really. Mm -hmm. So she kind of, kind of blew me off, so I never really worried about it at that point, and then it just all sat dormant for a while. Yeah. And then it was like 1987 or 88. Uh-huh. Uh, I decided, well, what the hell? Because a buddy of mine was uh, Max Allen Collins, who was a very successful detective writer, mm -hmm. and his agent happened to specialize in detective books and show business books. So that's an interesting too. Like you wouldn't, you would think like maybe oh, detective and horror. You know, like yeah, it's, that's an interesting intersection. To connect them. How yeah. do you do that? Yeah. So I, but but anyway, uh -huh. it was. It, it was the perfect time. There'd been like really no Python books published mm -hmm. in America. And so in 1987, I started putting this thing together. This was perfect timing as it turned out mm -hmm. because I'd, uh, I'd been working in magazines for throughout the 80s, really. Mm -hmm. Starlog magazine, preview magazine, video magazines, uh -huh. and whatnot. And uh, 
So I, I kept in touch with the Pythons throughout the 80s, doing mm -hmm. a lot of this. And when Graham was, uh, Graham Chapman was on his tours, doing his lecture tours throughout the 80s. Mm -hmm. So I got to see a lot more Graham than really anybody, anybody else as far as Python goes. Uh, but uh, I, I did some pretty extensive interviews with all of the guys, you know, in the late 80s. And this was a good thing that I did because uh, I got all of, I got all of this stuff down from Graham, mm -hmm. and then right about the, within a month or so of the time the book was coming out, Graham died. Yeah, wow. So yeah, yeah, and so I mean, if I hadn't have been there archiving all of this stuff, yeah, all Graham's it wouldn't stuff, have been documented. Would have been all. gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'm particularly happy about with, yeah. my, with my first Python book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then, and it's just like a, a biography of them? Or? This is, uh, this is I, I was kind of stupid. I crammed absolutely everything in there. Okay. It was an episode guide to all of the shows, uh -huh. the guy's comments about you know various sketches that were in each of the shows. Uh, I also wrote, had wrote a section about all the things they did pre-Python, mm -hmm. a section about all that they did post-Python. I did another, you know, biography section. Okay, there were it's just, got everything in it, yeah. Yeah, I should have made it into three a books. Smorgasbord. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could always but release another edition. I could, yeah. I could, yes. <laughs> Of course, now everybody in the world's written Python books, so it's not quite wow. this, not quite as good, but... I mean, you still, I mean, can't you, you can call it definitive or something like that. <laughs> Oh yeah, I could call it that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Free marketing. <tip. laughs> okay, well that's that's pretty awesome. So yeah, and so then I mean then my life with Python just went on and on and on. But interestingly enough, though, it was in the early '80s that I first got involved with performing. See, when I came back from Tunisia, I eventually got back into radio work again, mm -hmm. and I let's see how did this happen. I should probably just lie and it would make a much better story. But uh, I came back, no, I decided at one point, I just, you know, in radio, when, you're, when you've got the best job in radio, you've got to get up like at 3 o'clock in the morning. So like the this, is, hours, this is what yeah. you aspire to in radio is, oh boy, if I just keep really working at it, I'll be getting up at 3 in the morning. Yeah. This is, it didn't appeal to me a whole lot. It is a kind of crazy schedule to keep. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up, uh, Getting, getting out of radio, moving to Chicago, mm -hmm. and this is when I decided I wanted to, you know, get into comedy, mm -hmm. just see about performing, improvising, okay. and whatnot. And that's how you ended up with Improv Olympic, and okay. that's how I, yeah, that's how I met Dell and, mm -hmm. and Sharna, and that's how I got involved with the whole thing because, okay. uh, you know, for a year or so we just kind of experimented on this long form thing mm -hmm. that, that was, it had been called the Herald back by the committee in San Francisco in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. But, and Dell kept trying to revive it. The rest of the committee just kind of let it go. Mm -hmm. They didn't do much work at it. But in the, uh, in the early 80s, Dell decided, you know, he really wanted to try to develop this form. And so we were his guinea pigs. Gotcha. So all of this stuff that became long form mm -hmm. really came out of that period in the early 80s with Dell. So interesting. And uh, it was, I, I can remember very clearly, we had a couple of uh, false starts, and then we got our, and our group ended up getting together, mm -hmm. the Barons Barracudas, mm -hmm. after, I mean, there were, after these false starts, and we were, uh, we were a success uh, almost immediately. I mean, it was a Tuesday night, and people made their way to this little rat hole mm -hmm. on North Wilton Street, mm -hmm. and this was, this was actually a very, very hip place to be, I mean, mm -hmm. 
I remember some of the other shows that were there. Mark Nutter and the Friends of the Zoo were there before us, <clears throat> but uh, the, uh, the McCourt brothers, Frank and Malachi McCourt, they did a show mm -hmm. called A Couple of Blackguards before you know, they became hugely successful. Uh, Aaron Freeman did a show there. There were a bunch of, a lot, there was a lot going on across yeah. Kermis. And we were right at the epicenter. We were doing, mm -hmm. I think, Tuesday and either Friday or Saturday nights, I don't remember which. Gotcha. But uh, it, was, it was very successful for a while. Uh, then there was, a, there was kind of a shake up there and myself and Joel Murray and Dave Pasquazi mm -hmm. stayed with the new configuration and I think Honor Finnegan did also. Okay. And then we we got a new group in there, and we did a show with uh, with Dell. This was the first show he directed since mm -hmm. he left Second City. This is Otter Finnegan versus the Brain of the Galaxy, uh, and it, it got pretty good notices, and we got pretty good crowds. Um, Graham came one night. I was very proud of that. That's this awesome. was a year or two before he died. It was mm -hmm. uh, it was really nice because. Not only was Graham there, but Bill Murray was there. One of the nights Graham was there. Also. Oh, really? Okay. So we had a we had a get together at my place after mm -hmm. the show, and Dell was there, and there were like maybe I don't know a dozen students or actors mm -hmm. or improvisers there, and I remember sitting around my living room, which was also a little rat hole on the north side, mm -hmm. and uh, and Dell really just took charge of the whole conversation, and he was you know, telling stories and, you know, Bill would tell a story occasionally or Graham would and but it was it was Dell holding court in front of this this very impressive group. Yeah. Uh, but I knew it was a successful evening because I was sitting not far from Graham and his son. I heard uh, heard his son say something about oh we should probably get going. Uh, you know, it's it's a really early flight. Mm -hmm. And Graham said, oh, yeah, I suppose so. Of course, it's, uh, we could always sleep on the plane. Uh -huh. So so they stayed there. There you go. They liked it that much. That's so, awesome. So that was good. And they also worked out a deal where Bill was going to do, an, uh, Bill and Dell were going to do an appearance in Graham's film, which oh, okay. ended up not happening. But it was, it gave Graham a great boost toward the end. And I think it might have helped him, you know, trying to get it going and mm -hmm. generate finance. So, so I was glad I was able to pay back Graham in that way. That is great, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, then, what else can I tell you? I guess in the 90s, um, I ended up, well, at the end of the 90s, I had stayed in touch with all of the guys, of course. Mm -hmm. um, John Cleese asked me to come back, mm -hmm. to come out to Santa Barbara, where he was, to work as his personal assistant. Awesome. So I packed the family <laughs> in. Yeah, yeah. So it was great. So we were there for just about five years. Oh wow! Out in Santa okay. Barbara. Yeah, which was wonderful. But mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, he had this very, very expensive divorce, oh. and so we moved back here. And when we did move back here, I slowly started drifting back toward the I.O. Gotcha. Um, I'd always done improv and I've always done comedy. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, Michael McCarthy was a dear old pal of mine. Mm -hmm. And Michael and I, uh, well, Michael had organized the writing program mm -hmm. at the I.O., which is where we are sitting right now. Thank you, Michael. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so that kind of got me more involved in mm -hmm. this. Gotcha. And so we start, I started out 
you know, just substituting for Michael, and mm -hmm. then I started developing classes. Mm -hmm. and that's why today we have a Python writing class here at the I.O. Mm -hmm. Teach these guys to write in the style of the Pythons. Uh, and do you see any anyone with potential in your classes who will be the next generation of Pythons? There's some shockingly good people. Uh -huh. I can't believe how good some of this stuff is. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have a reading. Um, next week, mm -hmm. which will be too late for you people probably, but... Yeah, uh, sorry. But, uh, Production turnarounds. Uh, one know. person. I'm one person. Glitter and fonts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> mm, probably won't even happen. <laughs> well, I'll literally be sitting there Tuesday night, like at 3 a.m. <laughs> I... They should. <laughs> no, you've committed yourself. You made a promise to them. You know how many times I've made a promise and not gone through with it? They're used to it. I'm like the drunk father that they might have had. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Anyway. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, so um, you're doing a reading. So that's yeah. So uh, and we're doing uh, this this year this mm -hmm. this first session we started working on what I call Python Prov, which mm -hmm. is improvising in the style of Python. Oh, cool. Which is, I've told the Pythons about this, mm -hmm. and just, and John, no, okay. And Terry Jones, oh, we don't improv, we never improvise, how can you do that? And what was so, their process like? It was very strict writing. Oh, uh, okay. They wrote in teams, yeah, they, it, was, it was all written. Oh. Every, and they would labor over each word, and memorize things word for word. There's very little improvising going on in Python. Well, it is very, like, I mean, it is very short, snippy dialogue. It's very, I don't, I don't, I don't have the word for it. It's yeah, it's very concise. It's <laughs> yeah. very well considered. Yes, it, it. every word is very effective, usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, so it's, you know, so Terry didn't think we could do it. And for a while, I didn't think we could do it when I started working with the group. But actually, we found ways to do it. This is what I used to do with Dell. When I, would, when I was in class with Dell back in the early 80s, back when this all started, uh -huh. Dell would walk in and he would, he would uh, say, well, I've just been uh, reading this Theodore Sturgeon book about the group mine, and uh, you know, so-and-so, and, -so, and we did, they did this and that. And so I think we'd like to try to replicate that up on the stage. And he'd just call us up on the stage and that's how Secret he would sweat, figure things out. Is, yeah. yeah, and some things worked and some mm -hmm. things didn't. So that's what we—that's what I've been doing with my classes. Cool. I've been doing using the being using the Dell method. Awesome. And uh, where do you see it going? Like, what what's your you know couple of years from now? What do you want to see it bloom into? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, this all came about because you know, even Terry said you can't improvise with Monty Python and. You know, any more than you can improvise Shakespeare. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, you can. You've got a really great. Any more than you can improvise Jane Austen, right? There you go. Right. So we're going to see what happens. Uh -huh. We're going to put this up on its feet. Uh, I'm keeping the group going mm -hmm. for another session, and we're going to uh, basically I'll do what Dell did. We just start chipping away at everything that doesn't seem like Monty Python. Gotcha. And we'll just see where it goes because I think it can be done, and I think these uh -huh. guys can do it, and I, I'm. By default, I think the Pythons don't know improv, and the improvisers don't really fully understand Python. So they need me right there in the center, just All slapping right. their wrists when they get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, no, that's where that's cool. Going. That's really cool. Okay. Um, God, I haven't even talked about my Dell biography. I haven't talked about truth and comedy. I haven't talked about wow. 
There's a lot so those of are those are two other books that he's he's put out. Yeah, yeah. well, I co-wrote Truth mm -hmm. and Comedy with Dell and Sharda. Actually, this was early '90s, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. um, but the Dell biography, I didn't realize this at the time, but before Dell died, um, my wife had been talking to him and uh, about about a biography and. Uh -huh. And she said, you know, well, you know, Howard really should probably be the one to write it. And Dell said, well, of course, you know, oh, of course he yeah. should. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't know it at the time, but I was the des his designated biographer. That's so funny. Okay. And Dell was one of, if not my closest friend in Chicago mm -hmm. during the 80s. Um, but Dell was, my God, if you talk to anybody that ever knew Dell or worked with Dell, they've all got stories. Mm -hmm. And Dell was just, Incredible. He lived right up the block from me. He lived mm -hmm. a block and a half north of me on Racine okay. after he left Second, the house across from Second City and the sneak joint. Uh, my God, I would, I would urge people to read my Dell biography just because it's got all the stories. I mean, mm -hmm. just steal somebody's copy if you don't want to buy it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you should know Dell. You should really know Dell. There might Del. be like a, a if, if I remember, dear Vicky who's editing this, put a link. Put a link in the description. So Good if idea. you, dear viewer or listener, if you look in a description box, you might see a link to some of these books. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, it's it, it, but the story of Dell is really the story of improvisation. Mm -hmm. uh, he is you know, he's really the one guy in improv that should have that solely made his reputation in improv that really needs a biography. Because mm -hmm. he just, and that's why I ended up doing it. But he okay. would drop these little, little comments all along the way. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody got something wrong, Dell didn't necessarily bother to correct them. Yeah. And so I found out, you know, discrepancies and truths, and the truth was just as weird, if not weirder, than uh, than the lies that he would let us lead us on to believe. Like what kind of truth? Um. Well, there were a lot of, well, one of the more depressing aspects was his father's suicide. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I, that really affected Dell more than just about anything else in his imagine. life. Yeah. Even though he was 21 at the time, mm -hmm. you know, when he'd gone off to New York, but he, uh... For gigs. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, okay. How are we time-wise? I'm, uh, what are we time-wise? 11.28. Okay. Loads of time. Yeah. All right. Um, so where were we? Oh, Dell's father's suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a great place to leave off. But yeah, I mean, with the whole story, I mean, he told different, ver there's at least three different versions of his father's death. Really? That he told to different people. Yeah, so... Was he like just, because some people are, it's not like pathological lying, but they just, they don't care, I guess? I don't know. Dell was, <laughs> Del was much more interested in the legend than he was in okay. the Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. And he knew that there was going to be you know, there would be legends mm -hmm. springing up around him. Uh, right after Dell died, nobody really knew what was going to happen. Like mm -hmm. with the I.O. or, you know, would Sharna keep, be able to keep this going? Mm -hmm. uh, was, you know, was all this going to just die out? And bless her heart, she put, put her nose to the grindstone and mm -hmm. she just built it and it just got bigger and bigger than any of us would have ever thought. Yeah, no, this is, it's, the theater right now is huge, it's great. Um, do you have like a favorite story like of your interactions with Dell? Anything that pops to mind is like, oh, I can't believe that one time. 
I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you this one story. Just mm -hmm. I was doing a radio show in the eighties. Mm -hmm. This was a like a pop culture radio show, and I would occasionally have Del on either as a guest or as a co-host. Okay. And my guest that week was going to be Tiny Tim. Oh, okay. And Tiny Tim, Google him if you don't know Tiny Tim. My God, he was he's another total eccentric. But mm -hmm. Del knew Tiny Tim back in the day, back in L.A. and like 65 or 66 or so. Uh -huh. He lived in like in a coach house behind the regular house where Dell and this other group was living. Okay. So uh, so Tiny Tim was going to be the guest. And I said, hey, Dell, what do you think? You want to come on and you know be a co-host here? How long has it been since you've seen him? Mm -hmm. Well, Dell hadn't seen him in 30-some years. So I thought, this is going to be great. Mm -hmm. So I, I drive out and I go into the hotel to get Tiny Tim. And Tiny Tim... <laughs> He, he always carried around his uke with him. His yeah, ukulele. I would say he's at tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> That's yeah. it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tiny Tim had his uke in his bag, his mm -hmm. shopping bag. He carried in this brown, no, brown paper bag that okay. day. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I start talking to him just a little and he's very disheveled, uh, but he looked ex almost exactly the same as he did in the 60s. Because uh -huh. he didn't look that great in the 60s, and he didn't look <laughs> much better then. So I pick him up, and uh, we walk out to the car. Just as we're getting near the car, I said, uh, Mr. Tim, that's what Dell called him, Mr. Mm -hmm. Tim, because he would call everybody uh, Miss Vicky, and, which oh, was his first okay. wife, by the way. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, they're married <laughs> on the Johnny Carson show. What? Another thing for you to look at. I didn't even know. That's so funny. I yeah. gotta read this bag. Yeah. <laughs> Tiny Tim was, uh, he, I think he, he, I don't know if he proposed to her there, but he agreed to get married there mm -hmm. on, the time, on the Tonight Show. And he oh, was, yeah. you know, it was a huge, it was a huge national news. Mm -hmm. he, nobody knows it. That's, nowadays, nobody remembers it. But, uh, but that was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, we're walking to the car and I said, Mr. Tim, I've, you know, I've got uh, somebody here, I think, that uh -huh. was a friend of yours, you know, a while back. And uh, we get up there and he looks and they look at each other and he, oh, I don't think I, I don't think I know him. Oh, and then he realized, oh, and Del gets up, Mr. Tim, how are you? And then, <laughs> and then oh my goodness, Mr. Close, Mr. Close. And very excited. That's great. So the two of them got in the car and I drove them out to the radio station. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Tim was, or Tiny Tim, was telling these, telling stories about back in the day, mm -hmm. back in the, because this is, you know, summer of love-ish kind of thing, mm -hmm. hippie type, this is very, very odd people, but. They lived uh, through a great time. Yeah, yes, oh my God, and Del was right in the epicenter of it mm -hmm. because he worked, was with the committee, but, yeah. but I digress. Uh, so they get in the car, we're driving out there, and when they get to the radio state, they're all they're talking the whole time, mm -hmm. and talking. A little, you know, and Dell was very good at just you know getting story, getting him to elicit stories mm -hmm. from Mr. Tim, and so he gets you know they're talking the whole time. We get in the in the, on the radio, and somewhere I've got a tape of this of the radio show, an hour long thing with Dell and Tiny Tim, and Tiny mm -hmm. plays the he was playing the uke the whole time, mm -hmm. and. Uh, then we got we get back in the car and we start heading back and then they started comparing notes about wives. Oh my gosh. And because Dell had a horror Dell was married once. Uh-huh. Not a good experience. Oh. Some people should not be married. 
Yeah. And Dell and his wife were just the perfect mismatch. Oh no. And and Tiny Tim starts talking about, oh, the marriage was over as soon as the television lights went off and he was on and on and on. Oh, so wow. I just realized what a bizarre, surreal thing here. Yeah. Two guys were not necessarily very good husbands or mm -hmm. in very good marriages, you know, are comparing notes with each other. And, mm -hmm. I, and, they, and they talked about, you know, being out there when the, when the Grateful Dead were the warlocks playing out there, mm -hmm. all, you know, all of those days. So yeah. I take... Uh, I thought we dropped dropped Dell off at his place because he had a rehearsal or something. I think that afternoon, mm -hmm. and then I had to take Mr. Tim back to wherever it was he was going. And the whole time, he just he had the he was just mm -hmm. singing to me. I got a private concert That's from awesome. Tiny Tim. That's yeah, awesome. it was unbelievable. <laughs> wow. That's great. So anyway, so that was, uh, that's my, that's my tiny Tim and Dell story. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Now do you see yourself, are you going to be writing another book soon or do you, do you have any plans so far oh, as that goes? Oh man. Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah, I feel guilty because I do have another book. I've written some fiction uh -huh. and I've got a, a two part science fiction series that's out right now. That's the awesome. Last of the Time Police. Um, <laughs> but, that's out now, uh -huh. but I've also got a book that I need to finish. I ran into some roadblocks, a book about the committee out in San Francisco. Oh, okay. uh, Alan Meyerson, who was the director of the committee, he, he was a guy that fired Dell from Second, or Dell got him fired from Second City mm -hmm. in 1962, and then he hired Dell back for the committee in 66, I think it was. Okay. So, but the committee was hugely influential. The committee was where the Herald began. Mm. Uh, and th that was the place to be in San Francisco. That's mm -hmm. where everything happened. Uh, the, Lenny Bruce hung out with the committee. Bob Dylan hung out with the committee. Really? Uh, just everybody. David Crosby and the birds were just a block down mm -hmm. from where they were. So everybody came to see the committee back then. Mm -hmm. They were, and they were at the epicenter. So much of the social change was going on at the time. They were, you know, they. Were support, did benefits with the Black Panthers, they did mm -hmm. benefits with the Diggers, they did benefits with just about everybody. So cool. Uh, and usually successful in Peru. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people just know uh, Howard Hessman because of WKRP, or they know uh, Peter Bonners because mm -hmm. of the Bob Newhart show, or they know Carl Gottlieb because of Jaws. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's so much talent, so mm -hmm. much talent there. I mean, Robin Williams used to hang out. Uh, Rob Reiner became part of the committee. Okay. Uh, it was, but it's where long-form improvisation came from. Gotcha. Um, cool. But that's why, again, Dell was there. It was mm -hmm. Dell and Alan Meyerson, and then their, their piano player as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the three of them got together to compare notes one day because they did workshops where they'd all been doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they, that's, that's when they decided, yeah, let's see what okay. happens here. Started gotcha. doing it that night, and that's where long form came from. And Dell, of course, was there earlier on. Mm -hmm. Dell was there at the beginnings in the late, well, it was in the late 50s. Uh, he was with uh, the, the Compass Players, the mm -hmm. St. Louis Compass Players. Uh, originally, it was Theodore J. Flicker, uh, I think Nancy Ponder, Dell, and then Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Mm -hmm. And so they worked together for. A fairly short time. Mm -hmm. I got to I got to meet Mike Nichols later on, mm -hmm. much a lot later on. Mm -hmm. Mike didn't really attach much importance at all to the Compass Players in, in St. Louis. Okay. But that was where Elaine and Ted Flicker came up with all the rules that 
you know, beginning improvisers know today. Interesting. They came and they, they compared notes with uh -huh. Viola Spolin and some yeah. of the stuff Paul Sills was doing. And they realized they both come up, both groups had come up with this basic same set of uh -huh. rules independently of each other. Okay. Because Elaine and Ted Flicker would talk about what they, what they had done the night mm -hmm. before, and they'd come up with rules and ways mm -hmm. to prevent that or rules to make it more effective. Gotcha. Then they'd rehearse with the rest of the group uh -huh. that afternoon. Okay. But but it was it was funny because Mike Nichols had very little. He, he had very little interest in what was going on with the St. Louis Compass players. Of course, Mike had a lot going on in his whole life throughout. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, but he and Dell, I tried to kind of... Dell always had issues with Mike Nichols, and Mike kind of didn't much care. Okay. I mean, he, he kind of disregarded Dell. He didn't, or didn't think about it or didn't really realize how upset or hurt or jealous or whatever it was with, mm -hmm. with Dell. Uh, and so many, many years later, this unfortunately it was after Dell died, like three, four years after Dell died, or I would have liked to have gotten the two of them together mm. to just kind of reconcile. But I did as much as I could to kind of reconcile the whole thing between Mike mm -hmm. and Dell, you know, after Dell had died, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I mean, you, you look at the bodies of work of both men, and it's just, it's amazing. Totally, it was yeah. kind of, yeah, you know, and it was really, at least from Dell's point of view, it was all about Elaine May. Mm. And in his view, Mike won, because he got Elaine to go off to, and of course they went off on Broadway. And yeah, was, and then Nichols and May had, they had their um, show, right? Yeah. Yeah, huge success on mm -hmm. Broadway, and they could have, they'd, They'd have been running up, you know, for decades mm -hmm. if they'd have wanted to, I think. Gotcha. But Elaine got bored and Mike got into films and plays, so. There you go. There you are. <laughs> yeah. It happens. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Okay. So. Um, I think uh, then, I, I really want to ask you just before, before we come to a close, do you have any fun little anecdotes from like your time with John Cleese? Oh my God, there's so many. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. I know I'm, I'm asking for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's kind of hard. I'll just because mm -hmm. I mean I've just known John so well for so long. Yeah. I finally got wise, and I started uh, I started keeping a journal okay. when I started not years ago as I should have, but a year ago November, uh, I went out on tour with John mm -hmm. when he was promoting his biography, his yeah. autobiography. And so we were out, out on the road for three weeks. We did 15 cities in 21 days. Wow. And so uh, I kept a journal of everything mm -hmm. that happened then and all the things he would say and jokes mm -hmm. and such. Um, we had, <laughs> my God, we, we, we were trying to figure out, we had to get to Washington, D.C. We were in New York and Manhattan mm -hmm. and it was raining or might have been snowing, I can't remember. And we were, I think we were on Broadway, the hotel was, the car picks mm -hmm. us up. And he gets like a half a block, and then we just sit, and we sit, and uh -huh. we sit. And we're trying to figure out, because we've, we've got a gig that night. Mm -hmm. So how do, we, how do we get John there? And so we, uh, eventually the driver gets on the phone. Well, because we were going to take the train, we weren't going to fly, mm -hmm. because we thought that, we thought that would be faster. <laughs> Uh, and John likes the idea of the train. It's very, you know, it's more romantic okay. way to travel. Yeah. It's, that's what he thought. So, 
yeah. the actual real, real, realistically when you're on a train and you have to spend time on one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was kind of different. We, uh, we made it down, I think it was, mm -hmm. we, we had to get to Penn Station. Mm -hmm. And we, during the time, it, it's like 45 minutes to go mm -hmm. about six, eight blocks. You know? Oh, no. So we were trying to, and we had all this luggage, so we couldn't yeah. even walk, we couldn't get a taxi, you couldn't do, mm -hmm. could do nothing. So uh, we're on the we had the driver on the phone there, he was trying to see, well, could we rent a car and make it mm -hmm. down there? Where's the closest place we could rent a car, we could do this, could we get a flight, what can we do? Mm -hmm. And we got down to Penn Station, and the train had been delayed. Oh. So this was great, but Penn Station was just packed. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just completely packed. So we had to try to figure, you know, we had to try to figure out where is it coming in at because they wouldn't tell mm -hmm. us which uh, which platform it was going to be. And so, and John had to go sign books. There was a little bookstore inside of Penn uh -huh. Station, so he had to make his way over there. And as soon as he goes over there and starts signing. The train gets in, the platform is uh, there, and people start moving. Uh -huh. So we had the guy to kind of grab him and wave yeah. him down, just pull him over. And we get to the top of this escalator, mm -hmm. and we start going down, and all of a sudden we hear this commotion. Somebody fell at the bottom of the escalator because oh, no. it was so packed. Yeah. Well, as bad as this was, then somebody the next person fell over that person, and the next person fell, and oh, the escalator just kept going. It didn't yeah, stop. Yeah, it doesn't know to stop, yeah. Yeah, and so oh, John and I are just kind of looking at each other. We're about a third of the way down the escalator. Hey, we're going to be next. Yeah, oh, how do we do this? How do you avoid that, yeah. 75-year-old python here, I've got to keep safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I grabbed both suitcases. Uh -huh. uh, my my big suitcase and John's big suitcase to try to get them down the escalator, and so I picked them up. But uh -huh. God knows it was like one of those things where you know you get adrenaline and you pick up yeah. a car because that's how <laughs> suitcases work. So we finally we uh -huh. got them lifted up, and somehow they got them cleared away from the bottom of the escalator. Mm -hmm. So we just barely made it, still standing. Oh wow! And we had to try and get onto this train because we knew it wasn't going to be there mm -hmm. that much longer. So we get on the train and then we had to walk all the way up to the front of the train yeah. through about eight or ten cars no. because there was, yeah, we had to put our suitcases somewhere. Yeah. So we, the first place I found to set our suitcases, I did that. We made it up to the front of the car, which was the only place that there were any seats at all. Uh-huh. And the damn train finally starts uh -huh. and John is sitting over there and I'm sitting over here. And it was a, it was a the worst worst mm -hmm. travel situation Aww. we've ever been in. So it, what traveling on train for us was not the romantic no. you know, <laughs> you know, situation you would think. No, it really wasn't. Um, I spent a lot of time on trains in China, and I can tell you, trains are not romantic. No, no. <laughs> they can be pretty bad. Well, England, you know, maybe you traveled around Europe. Okay, you get the right situation. Yeah. You reserve a seat. It's great. Okay, you know, yeah. You sit back, but oh man, <laughs> um, I forget where I was going with the story. Well, I, I was just asking <laughs> if you had a fun story. So oh, okay. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I think we're we're at the point now where I ask if you have anything you want to plug. Well, I've got books, I've mm -hmm. got classes, I've got yeah, go to Amazon.com, Kim Howard Johnson, and there's a big huge we didn't talk about the Superman graphic novel that I co wrote with John. 
Cleese. Oh, that's really uh, awesome. So, yeah, yeah, I could have brought that up, but I, but we're getting, I'm getting low on time. So I will tell you about my classes at mm -hmm. the I.O. Uh, I do a writing class called the Python Process. I do an improv class called mm -hmm. Python Prov. And I'm curious to see how that's going to go when we do our show very yeah. soon. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I think it's going to go very well because we've got we got such great people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so very exciting stuff there. Awesome. And yes. where can people online? Do you have a website or a Twitter? Or where, where should they look for you? Yes, it's very complicated. It's KimHowardJohnson.com. <laughs> I'm also on Facebook as Howard Johnson or Kim Howard Johnson author on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. At at K Howard Johnson, and I'm even on Tumblr. And I don't ask me what my Tumblr. I Tumblr confuses me. I don't really uh, understand. Me. I have no idea. I'm on Pinterest also, but I haven't been there in Can years. Can I see so. your like your fabulous shoe collections? That you want? <laughs> like, you know, like maybe well, the board of inspirational quotes. Is that what you're? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 Like all your no-bake mug cakes or whatever. Yeah. I've I never understood what is, is Pinterest if you're like really bored and just have have hobbies. It's like you, it do? Just, you go down these like two-hour like black holes of like time sucks where you're just like, ooh, I like the look of that. Ooh, that's a pretty mason jar. Ooh, put that oh in my, my coat bucket. Oh yeah. My. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of time? Yeah. Oh, well, usually man. you're robbing Peter to pay Paul when you're on Pinterest, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on. As usual, thank you for watching and listening, people. Make sure that you check out my website, www.vickyazenstein.com. Also, if you're on YouTube, check out the podcast on SoundCloud. If you're on the SoundCloud or iTunes podcast, check out the YouTube videos. And make sure to check at Eisenstein, E-F-C-T, on Twitter. Also, my personal account, at Vicky Ironstone. I could just plug all day. Please, please, please check out. I have. I have. Please, please, please. Please check out my Patreon account, pa Patreon, Patreon, I don't know. What is you can that? actually, it's a really cool way for people to, um, since, you know, I do all this for free, if you'd like to give me a tip of sorts, then Good that's idea. a way to pay creators and yes. to help them create more content. So, yes, payers. Yeah. Please, um, please. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help a starving creator. <laughs> <laughs> Starting improvise. Yeah. Yes, yes, they need it. There you go. So that's just patreon.com slash Vicki Eisenstein, I think. Um, I'll put all these links in the descriptions. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Vicki. Yeah. And uh, bye. <laughs> Great. And let's get a picture. Oh, yes. Um, here we go. Hold on.